Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Hey man, before this episode begins, I would like to announce the new Husband Material Community app. We are moving our private community away from Facebook and our Facebook group to husbandmaterial.app. It's already live. You can go check it out at husbandmaterial.app. Don't worry, the Facebook group will still be there. But I'm creating this new community to be more inclusive for everyone who stays away from social media because you don't want to get distracted or sexually triggered or deal with the ads and the algorithms. It's also more secure and stable, giving me more ways to communicate, more power to allow you guys to connect at a deeper level. It's for Christian men only. And to celebrate this new community, we are having a live Q&A event with Jay Stringer on April 21st. All of our live episodes and events from here on out will be held within the community app, and you can get it at husbandmaterial.app. I hope to see you there. Go check it out before you listen to the rest of this episode. And always remember, you are God's beloved son, and in you, he's well-pleased. Welcome to Husband Material. Today on the show, we have my Canadian friend, Sean Bonito, coming all the way from Nova Scotia. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Drew. So good to be here. Being here again after a year. You were first on my show a year ago. That's right. Yes, I was thinking about that when I was preparing for this time, and it's amazing what happens in a year. Yes, good and difficult. And most recently, you just had a baby. Yes, we invited Violet Antonier Bonito into the world. And uh, it's pretty cool because we moved to Nova Scotia on a calling from the Lord. And she was born at 9.02 p.m., which is the area code of Nova Scotia. And she was exactly seven pounds, which we know the Lord showed us that he's well pleased. So we're very grateful for her and the the Lord's signs. And the fingerprints of God are all over this story, especially in the healing that had to take place for her to exist, right? Yes, to not only exist, but yeah, to exist well and for Mm. us to actually parent her in a way that we believe is honoring to the Lord. Yeah. So both of you, both you and Helena, have a story of freedom from porn. And specifically what we are talking about today, you are going to help us understand the truth about erectile dysfunction, because there are a lot of misconceptions out there, and share your personal story. So let's get into it. First of all, what is erectile dysfunction? Yeah, so we're going to use a few different terms on this podcast for simplicity's sake. So PIED, P-I-E-D, is porn-induced erectile dysfunction, which we'll talk a little bit more later about what that actually is in the specifics. And then ED would be erectile dysfunction, which typically lingers after some of the chemical imbalances, uh, after pornography uh, change or diminish. Um, But really, that can also be called psychological impotence, if you want to use a different verbiage as well. And then on this podcast, I'll also use a verbiage called PE, which is premature ejaculation, and DE, which is delayed ejaculation, which are also pieces of the puzzle as well. So terms that maybe no one's heard, but we're going to talk about those and unpack those a bit more today. Yeah, we got some new vocabulary to be learned. That's right. Yes. USB. We already (laughs) learned that one. So now we're moving on. (laughs) Yeah. So we got P-I-E-D-E-D. P-E and D-E. That's right. These are some categories that can be helpful to understand our experiences. What has been your experience with these things? Yeah. So so like you said, Drew, I was on your podcast a year ago. So I figured if anybody wants to hear more of my pornography story, they could go listen to that podcast. Uh, But today I really wanted to hone in on PIDE and ED. Um, So just so everyone knows, I did struggle with pornography for 14 years. So from 10 years old till 24 years old. And that obviously played a massive role in all of this. But really, I wanted to share three experiences that really traumatized me in my late teen years that had led to a lot of the under the surface problems that 
led to lingering erectile dysfunction after I had quit pornography. And I think it's so important for us to look at our past as Jay Stringer so amazingly does and unwanted. I took some even you know deeper look into some of the things as I healed from erectile dysfunction because it can be very insidious and almost hard to find. But to really unpack my story uh, in that area. So not a Christian, uh, found the Lord at 22. So, so when I was 17, I had an almost first sexual encounter. Uh, I was at a lawn party and I was actually in a tent with a girl. Uh, we were, we were going to have sex. We were beginning to get undressed. And as soon as we were starting to take our clothes off, I heard the tent getting unzipped and I immediately just felt this total fear. I actually felt embarrassment as well, almost like, you know, losing my virginity in a tent was shameful. So that was an experience that obviously programmed me. And then I'll share these other two that have themes that all attach. So my, my actual first sexual encounter uh, was really awkward. I was, I was 18. Uh, I was at a friend's house for a party and I had sex with a girl who was on her period and we were in my friend's bathroom and I actually couldn't ejaculate. So just all of these things, very shameful, dirty, just not as I had hoped my first sexual experience to be. And again, you know, after we had sex, my friend actually, he heard us in the bathroom. So again, like almost like a breach of security and privacy and just many themes that happened in my first sexual encounters. And then another time, a year later when I was 19, again, I was at a party. I had sex with a girl, again, in a bathroom. She, she was also on her period and someone actually walked in on us having sex. And you can just hear from these three themes. There's really or these three stories are some themes that really traumatized me in being unsafe. So I was kind of always on guard of my surrounding environments, which really played into erectile dysfunction because I was always distracted, uh, created in me triggers around blood, either the sight of it or, or smells and even sounds. And, and like I said, it just really made me feel regret about my first sexual encounters, really just the kind of a dirty, shameful feeling, really regretful and, and not even being a Christian, but just seeing like, I really didn't ex- think that my first experiences would be in a bathroom and just so much trauma around that, that I didn't realize how embedded some of these, uh, tra- you know, these traumas were. So moving into how that kind of played out in my life, um, just to condense this as much as I can, but really experiencing Pied for the first time. Uh, I was 19, uh, had a major catastrophic situation happen and realized in that moment that I had no solution. I was terrified. I was sexually active with a girlfriend. Uh, I actually found her very attractive and and I was actually constantly aroused by her. We, We had a very sexual focused relationship, but for, you know, I say for whatever reason, but I know now in that moment, uh, what seemed random is we we were having sex one time and I went completely soft. And that was the first time that had ever happened while having sex. And it was so devastating for me because I felt totally flawed and totally defective, a total loser. But the scary part about this is that it was devastating for her where she blamed herself and her looks not being good enough. It's scary how these problems affect more than one person. So I've really realized that those traumatic situations that I lived through really caused a lot of those problems, pornography, of course. And looking back, I see like, wow, I I had pied at 19. Why didn't I have it before? Uh, Well, I did definitely have signs of it before that. We're going into DE, which we talked about, delayed ejaculation or PE, um, premature ejaculation. I really struggled with both of those things off and on with other sexual encounters that I had uh, with even my own porn and masturbation uh, addiction. So it's interesting how sometimes those can be the building blocks to the big catastrophic problem, which is pied or ED. So that was kind of my pre- Jesus days, um, some just foundational things for people to understand. And then fast forwarding to when I met my wife, uh, when we got married, uh, I was 23, she was 20. And we didn't wait to have sex until we were married. But unfortunately, we both have a sexually broken past before we met. And, uh, you know, when somebody says they waited to have sex until marriage, it doesn't usually mean that they didn't 
do some things that cross some boundaries. And we definitely did that. So our marriage bed definitely had a past sexual brokenness and even this blurring of the lines brokenness until that day the ring went on and you think it's all going to be hunky dory from then on. So it wasn't, of course. So I, I hid my porn addiction from my wife until two months into marriage when I relapsed for the first time. Uh, couldn't bear that being a part of our lives together, told her catastrophic issue. And again, that's in my story on the other podcast. But uh, really what had happened was I was so good at hiding my porn and masturbation addiction from Helena that I would actually avoid sex with her on the days or nights that I would watch porn and masturbate. And then I would tell her that I was too tired or I just didn't want sex. Um, and, and really the problem was because I had masturbated, not because I didn't want it or I was tired because I was embarrassed. And really what that was is that was me living out uh, porn producer at those functions, you know, being influenced by pornography. And it really caused such a friction in our marriage. And one of the things that's really scary is that I would often say no to sex on during the times that I had watched porn and masturbated. So Helena never really caught on that I had erectile dysfunction because I would often just say no to sex if I knew it was going to happen. So it happened, but it wasn't like this catastrophic thing where it was all the time, every time. So it's interesting how insidious it kind of snuck in there without Helena really knowing or questioning it. I knew full well, but she was kind of in the dark on that. And then fast forwarding to after quitting pornography, you know, I quit on my 25th birthday, which was August of 2017. So praise the Lord for that. It's going to be four years in August coming up, which is surreal. So yes, I'm excited about that. But the reality is, is I still struggle with erectile dysfunction. Um, and what I've realized really going deeper into that problem is that it was from deeper rooted emotional strongholds. So it was not really any longer about the porn influenced decline of dopamine or sensitization or desensitization, but it was really more about the deeper rooted emotional insecurities, sex expectations, personal impossible standards, assumptions, pressure and fear, performance, faulty core beliefs, these big things that we often just suppress and they just become our identity. Yeah, we're going to need to talk about those. Yes, we will do that because that's a big part of the healing journey that my wife and I bring clients on because as Sophia said it so well on the podcast a few weeks ago, man, our thought life is everything. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I have, I've actually over the last five months had healing over erectile dysfunction, but I actually struggled over the last three years outside of that five months uh, with some degree of ED um, usually weekly, if not monthly. And, and really for me, that was either not getting an erection, going soft in the middle of sex, uh, having a lack of sex drive due to fear and pressure and, and, and still struggling with premature ejaculation at times. So I've gone through the motions even after quitting pornography. And, and one of the things I wanted to share with everybody is that it, it's been really hard. Like that's a really ugly thing to experience. I, I've, I've been free from porn. I'm, I'm in full-time ministry helping guys with porn and, and, I, and I still struggled with that sometimes. And it was really uh, an ugly thing. And as I prepared for this podcast, it made me realize that's a part of my story that I, I haven't shared a whole lot. So yeah, it's actually emotional to think about because really I just wanted to share with the guys that the discouragement of erectile dysfunction has been so unreal that I've questioned my call. It, should I help guys with pornography addiction? You know, I struggle with this. You know, will I ever be free? You know, I have this labeling of low libido. I feel like a lousy husband. I'm a horrible lover to my wife. I wonder if I'll ever get past it completely. And I think one of the biggest things was feeling like nobody really understood me and could really help me the way that I needed to be helped. So I don't know if that speaks to anybody specifically that's listening to this, but that's really the the, the journey that I was on, even as somebody who's free from porn, helping people with pornography addiction, you know, looking like things are awesome. And they are quitting porn and masturbation has changed my life, yeah. but man, to still have that as a struggle has, has been really hard. So I come to this podcast with an incredible joy because there's been so much healing over the last five months. And, and I finally, for the first time ever know that it's from a healthy mindset, healthy language, and really it's from courage to ensure that I, I'm a healthy man in a, in a marriage union with my wife. It's not about behavior or performance. It's about being healthy in my mind. So going back to, we'll have to unpack that. And that is a huge paradigm shift because for me, having struggled with porn-induced erectile dysfunction too, yeah. Yeah. part of my story too, 
my initial alarm when Ooh. I discovered this was to imagine there's something wrong with my body. Yeah. Yeah. I am in some way flawed and defective and yeah. this is sexual. There's something wrong with my sexuality. And what you're saying mm. is there's a really strong connection with our brains and with our thoughts and with our emotions that all contributes to this. Yes. Yeah. There's actually a famous book called the mind body prescription that I Mm. love. And so we are approaching this issue from a mind body perspective. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's so biblical. Yeah. And just validating everyone out there who has struggled with one of these variations, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. It's so common. Yes. Both people yeah. on this episode right now have dealt with it. Yes. In some ways, I still deal with it at times. Yeah. For yeah. sure, it flares back up. Yeah. And so we're breaking the silence and letting you know that if this mm. has plagued you for years, and if it has caused you to question yourself mm. to the core, yeah. if you felt so discouraged that's completely normal. Mm-hmm. And we just want to say, it's okay. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So good, Drew. Even just to share that, that I don't think erectile dysfunction is something that ever just is gone forever because it's so about our minds and stress. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest realizations for me. And I'll talk a little bit more about that after, but that's one of the biggest things is realizing that it's if it's if it's psychological that means we're, we're not perfect in our mind where we still have a, yeah. we still sin and fail and fall short so you what you just said is is so helpful whenever i hear that it's such a gift it's such mm-hmm. a sacred holy mm-hmm. place to be invited yeah. into so beautiful One yeah it's never been shared yeah widely before yeah. And now we are preaching it from the That's rooftops. <laughs> Let this message go as far as it can to mm. everyone who needs it. Yeah. Now Amen. let's get a little bit deeper. You yeah. have learned a lot about this issue. Maybe more than you intended to learn. Yeah. What causes porn-induced erectile dysfunction and erectile dysfunction? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to share that in as simple terms as I can. There's more to this than what I'm sharing, but I think this is the core of what's important to wrap our head around it. So we realize there's more going on than, like we said, it's not just not a penis problem, Um, but dopamine often gets talked about. Uh, Really what dopamine is, is a chemical that gets released when we anticipate our reward. So when you're watching porn, you actually get a huge shot of dopamine that's that's really unnatural. And over time, that begins to shrink the receptors in your brain. And you actually begin to feel less excited about what used to turn you on. Mm. And another piece of the puzzle that I don't actually think it's talked about enough, but it's novelty addiction, which basically means that you're always craving new content which is just not something you can get in reality. And and sadly, that is what makes a consistent sex life with your spouse actually seem less appealing because of the porn-influenced mind. Like something that we often long for as a single person is a consistent sex life. And then we realize because it's not new and novel, it actually ends up wearing off. And it's not that it's wearing off, it's that our minds are influenced by the dopamine receptor shrinking. And it's incredible how that all plays a part but really honing in on psychological impotence, uh, that this is a brain problem. Uh, again, going back to Sophia's podcast, uh, we just really believe so much of erectile dysfunction, uh, especially after pornography, is so rooted in our mind. So one of the biggest things would be faulty core beliefs and our thought life. I'll talk a little bit more about that after when we get into some of the practical steps. Um, really emotions that we live in, that we've identified with, that are with fear and pressure, expectations, comparison, insecurities, anger, shame, and, and, and many more. But those are some of the main ones. And for example, feeling like I'm back in that bathroom mm-hmm. or back yeah. in that tent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And, and, and I'll talk about a few thoughts later, but exactly that feeling of, and, and there's been times where Helen and I have gone camping and she, we, you know, she wants to have sex and I'm in a tent. <laughs> it's really hard. And there's people around and I'm like, I can't do this right now. <laughs> so literally Drew, like literally a situation in a tent. It's really Talk hard about a trigger. Me. Yeah. And, and we have talked about it. And that's why I'm saying that I've had healing because the mindset has become about communication. And, and this goes into this third piece of the factors to do with the mind. The psychological impotence is, is lying. And a lot of guys don't lie for bad reasons. They lie because it seems too embarrassing to share what they're actually thinking. And there's a great quote that says, where secrets are present, intimacy is absent. And if we believe that every time we hide something, we are robbing our life of intimacy. And if you're single, wow. that's just intimacy of emotional yeah. or you know healthy uh, physical intimacy. But if that's marriage, that is so big. Where secrets are present, intimacy is absent. Yeah, robbing my life of intimacy and robbing my wife of intimacy. Yes, yes, exactly. It's, it's so huge. And I've lived in that for so long where I would hide my distractions, hide my insecurities because I was so embarrassed. And it's the very hiding of them that leads to the pressure. Yeah. So it's so paradoxical that yeah. by trying to get pleasure, we actually cause our brain to overload and then shrink the pleasure receptors because they can't handle the super normal stimulation. Yeah. And yeah. by trying to preserve closeness with my wife by keeping secrets. I'm actually driving us further apart. It's so heartbreaking. Is it ever? And when we put it in language like that, it allows us to introspect and say, wow, that is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, this is all about language that we can actually start speaking from. Yeah. And that has played such a huge role in you being able to overcome some of the obstacles that have been holding you back. Yeah. It's just being able to talk about it. I remember you telling me that just the other day, being able to talk about feeling the pressure of going on this show yes. allowed so much release and relief with your wife. Yeah, it, it happened probably three or four times in the last month that the enemy was telling me that I'm, I'm not a quality candidate for this podcast because you know if you don't get a direction tonight you're a failure so mm. that's what i'm saying that it never goes away it's all yeah. about a mindset right yeah and yeah. even just you sharing that demonstrates how much security the mm. lord has brought to you hmm. and how yes. just talking about it means the world amen amen that's beautiful yeah 100 drew bringing it into the light and unfortunately, we have been living in a lot of darkness surrounding this conversation. Mm, we have not yeah. been talking about it. We have not heard good, healthy, wise, researched perspectives. Mm. And so we're stuck with these myths yeah. that yeah. are so wacky, but mm -hmm. we we hold on to them because it's all we have. So, Sean, help us deconstruct some of the mm. common myths and ideas mm -hmm. that we have about this topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually gleaned a lot from Gary Wilson from Your Brain on Porn. He has a great hour-long presentation on Pied, and he really kind of deconstructs some of these things. And I think one of the biggest myths is that it is a penis problem or a physical problem. And I think I think it's Adam King, the fellow who was on your podcast last year. I think he said it really bang on. It's like, we do recommend guys go get a blood test but I've never actually met anybody who had a physical penis problem. It's always been a brain problem. Um, I had actually a conversation with my CEO a couple of weeks ago and she was saying a lot of people just don't want to own their sin. So they go to the doctor and he says, no, it's, 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 it's psychological, but then they go to another doctor because they just want someone to tell them it's physical so that they don't have to own their sin. And then really that myth debunks the myth that it only happens when you're old. Obviously it's not an age thing. It's a brain thing. That's a big one. That's a big one. In the book, How Pornography Harms by Dr. John Fobert, he shares a statistic that before the late nineties and early two thousands, Erectile dysfunction among men between 20 and 30 was at around 3%. And 20 years later, they did the same 
study, and it rose to 30%. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. This is not just an old guy thing, at least not anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're a generation raised by porn, and this stuff is hitting us way earlier. Yeah. Wow. Than most people are aware of, and it's so common. Yeah. So there's another myth to debunk. It's not just for old guys, and (laughs) it's not rare. Mm-hmm. One in yes. three is very common. Yeah, one in three. I've heard stats of, of countries like Japan where it's like upwards to 70% of young people wow. are not wanting sex and they're struggling with erectile problems. It's scary. So yeah, thanks for sharing that, Drew. Um, another myth, of course, is that you should take a pill. You know, these pills are helpful. They'll give you an erection. Um, the reality is, is these pills actually focus on the penis, which again, makes it about a physical problem. And that neglects the entire core issue of this being a psychological problem. So again, it's usually people not wanting to own their own sin of being addicted to porn or struggling with the lies they're believing from the enemy. And then I think a big one, I think there's going to be some arguments against this. And while I was writing it, I was thinking about it, but I've done a lot of thought, deep reflection, prayer, and and also research on this. And one of the myths that I believe is that you have low libido. And it's not that I don't believe that that's not a problem. I do believe in low libido, but I don't believe it's something that we're stuck with. I do think some people have lower sex drives, but I believe that it's much more minuscule than we make it to be. I think we use it as a label, an identity. You know, my wife just has a lower sex drive. I actually think women are more sexual than men most times. And and I think Jay actually (laughs) talks a lot about that too. And I think it's just us men, we're not the men that we told them they would be and they don't actually respect us. Um, So I actually believe low libido has a lot more to do with stress, which makes it a symptom, not an identity. And I think it's easy for us to live in this low sex drive, low libido myth land. And it actually causes a lot of problems in people's intimate lives. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you say about how this is a symptom, not an identity. Yeah. And I think that's the nature of everything we do in this, Drew, is, you know, so many symptoms of deeper problems, right? Yep. That is something we can get curious about, something we can have compassion for, and also say, that's not who you are. Yes. You are God's beloved son. In you, he is well pleased. Mm -hmm. And that truth is eternal. The situation we're dealing with, whatever it is, is temporary, Mm -hmm. and it's finite. And because our brains can change, there's so much hope. That's it. So even with all of the hope and all of the change and all the transformation that so many of us have experienced, maybe you've been free from porn for a while. It might be confusing as to why erectile dysfunction is lingering. Yeah. So help me understand, why does it persist even if you've been sober for a year or multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the journey that I had to go on. So I'm speaking from personal experience, but if we really hone in on this idea that ED stems from factors to do with the mind, then this will give us insight that our, their issues have to do uh, with more than more of what we have come to believe, which is rooted as, as Jay says, so best it's our family, our culture, and our communities that contaminate our lives. So faulty core beliefs, uh, are, are really running rampant in most people's lives. And I would say are the foundation of, of pretty well everybody's problems. Uh, I, I like to always tell people, it's like, if your foundation is two plus two equals five, your life is going to be really hard. And, and if we live that way in our sex life, in our spiritual life, it's like two plus two has to equal four. So then we can do math. But if we don't have the foundation correct, everything else falters. And and I think that's what's happening with these negative core beliefs. The enemy is the master of shame. And as soon as somebody tells you that they have shame around something, and then they talk about their relationship with God, I'm I'm, I'm wondering, like, what are they missing? Like, there's no condemnation in Christ's scriptures. Like, what are they missing from that scripture? There is no shame in Christ. But they, it's very interesting how these foundations are being cracked here, left, right, and center, because we're just not aware that it's the deep-seated beliefs that lead to our thoughts. So one of the things that I have people do is actually take time to unpack what they actually think and believe, not what they want people to think and believe about them, but what Mm. do they actually think and believe about life? 
huge difference. So what I always tell people is you'll be shocked at how much of what you think and believe has zero evidence of being true in the present moment. Hmm. My wife will think I'm a failure if I don't get hard. She isn't satisfied with the sex we're having. I need to be hard. I need to get hard to be manly. It's like, there's no evidence in any of that, but we believe it. Mm, that is so powerful. So even after the unwanted behaviors are gone, these beliefs persist. Yeah. And they might even be more difficult to uproot. Yes. Yeah. Because we spend so much time focusing on the addiction and healing. Yeah. These things kind of go unnoticed. (laughs) It's true. I've never had somebody come to me and say, I want you to help me correct my beliefs. (laughs) (laughs) Never said that. (laughs) Here's the beginning. (laughs) And I've never said that either. It's just not something we perceive to be a problem at the core of our lives. We think, oh, I have a behavior problem Mm -hmm. or... Or I have these these sensations that are bothering me, or this relationship yeah. has gone sour. We don't think to ourselves, man, my thought life really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, totally. Yeah. You know. And and Helen and I always joke, it's like, don't ask me how I'm feeling. Ask me what I'm thinking. You're asking the wrong question, Sean. <laughs> yeah. It's all important. It's all, it's all important. important. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I hear you saying with this whole mind-body prescription. And why ED can linger is because there are so many things that go into it. Yeah. So I love this holistic perspective. And some of those common beliefs and thoughts really resonated with me and with the guys that I talked to. It's almost like the air we breathe. Yeah. Just thinking, oh, she's bored with me and she's not interested in me. Or I'm not living up to the experience she thought she would have. Or I hope to give her... And we have all these scripts playing in our heads and we're not talking about it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, there is zero evidence of any of it. If we actually become mm. a lawyer and inspect the evidence, <laughs> there is none. Wow. So where does it come from then? Where do the beliefs come from? Yeah. Yeah. I would honestly say one of the biggest things I found with my clients is that they had to perform in their family to get attention or they were only noticed when they performed. And now that they're not able to perform, that brings them back to a memory of, well, like I only was noticed when I did well. So now I'm not doing well. I must be a failure. Mm. Like, I think it's, it's very actually simply tied to those memories, probably even more simple than a lot of us would make it to be. Mm. Cause then after years and years, the years, the enemy just piles on different strains of thoughts from those beliefs. And that thought becomes about our sex life, our work life, our personal life, our self-care life, everything. So one belief can have like probably up to 20 thoughts that are all different strains of that faulty core belief. Wow. It's scary. It's, it's so big. It's hitting me right between the eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm looking at on my wall. I have my uh, 12 new core beliefs from the Lord and I, and I read those often and they have transformed me from the inside out. Well, let's talk about those. What are some of yeah. your core beliefs? What does God say? Yeah. Well, my favorite one that I read right before I came on here was, as I please the Lord by honoring him alone, I have the impact on others, which he intends. Wow. That's That was the one that I felt that he wanted to have on my heart as I came on this podcast, because I need to realize that I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to please husband material audience. If I glorify the Lord, he will have the impact and he will give me the words to speak. Uh, my favorite one that I read often is that my best is pleasing to the Lord who delights in what he has called me to and my heart for it. And for me, that means that I might not be able to give the same level of effort every day, but it's my best that the Lord cares about. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, I could just be exhausted and worn out. And I just take five minutes to pray. And he just says, Sean, I love you so much. I'm so grateful for your, what you, what you bring. Wow. And, and I've always just felt like you know, there's the days that are really hard. You try to give your best in the world's eyes and it's just impossible. It's not a standard that you can get to. So those two have helped me tremendously. And this one has impacted me the most as a new father. It's I'm most satisfied and passionate when I'm doing the Lord's will. He has called me to fatherhood, a purpose and calling that illuminates my soul. God will provide all the energy I need to do all he wants me to do. Drop the mic. 
It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And when and I live for those, wall. every it's on my wall because those are on my heart. Mm. The Lord has given me those. Back in January, we did a really intensive retreat and basically went through all the core beliefs that we've been believing that have been hindering our lives. And the Lord just really, wow, he spoke into each and every one of them. Yeah. And these are so customized for you as an individual. I can yeah. see how these new beliefs extend into every area of life, work, family, and sex, especially when you talked about being pleasing and focus on pleasing the Lord. My mind thought rather than Mm -hmm. pleasing myself or (laughs) just pleasing my wife. Yes. Yeah. And hyper-focusing on that. Amen. Yeah. And that's going back to holistic, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. So these beliefs didn't come out of nowhere. They came from a retreat and this ongoing pursuit of God. There are some scriptures that you shared with Mm. me that seem like they're really relevant to this issue of erectile dysfunction and Mm. our bodies and what we believe about Mm -hmm. our bodies. What are some of those scriptures? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually neat because it was Scott Cohn. He had sent out a blessing your body exercise and he had some scriptures in that. And there, I just felt like there was two of them that resonated with what we're talking about. But I think the first one that I think we just so easily overlook, um, Genesis one twenty six. that God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And actually even looking into the song of songs, a lot of people don't read that book because it's kind of different um, for scripture wise, but there's a, there's a scripture that says that you are altogether beautiful. There is no flaw in you. And if we believe that that's the Lord speaking, that he sees that there is no flaw in any of us, even if the world says there's a flaw, the Lord doesn't see flaws because he made us perfect in his image. So God made us good, uh, actually perfect. If we actually look at him being perfect, he made us in his image. So if we believe this as our foundation, then it actually means that we're predestined to do good things with our bodies and that tying it into that idea of being flawed. We're, we're not flawed. There is no flaw in the Lord's eye, only the world's eye. And then the second scripture is for Samuel 16, seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him, which is Saul. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And if the Lord looks at the heart, then I think we should too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. Um, and really the heart is the mind. You know, he's not talking about that thing that pumps blood. You know, he says flesh, not talking about our skin. Oh, we're always talking about the mind. And I, and I believe this aligns 100% with really what we're talking about of it being a part of the mind. So it's just really this idea that God wants us to be focusing on the heart of the issue, not the appearance. And I believe the appearance would be the behavior. Yes. Yeah. I feel a deep peace just hearing you read those words Hmm. and talking about the way God sees us. Yeah. So different than the way we see ourselves. 100%. Blameless lamb. And, And even if it's hard to picture God, sometimes... Sometimes it's helpful to think how Jesus sees us mm-hmm. because there is no God who is unlike Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Yes. And so how does Jesus see me? How does he see my body? The evidence we have of that in the gospels is overwhelmingly yes. compassionate and kind and it de-escalates mm. the stress, the fear, the performance anxiety. Yes. And just loves us. Simply, beautifully. And, and I've, my wife and I have been watching the series The Chosen, which mm-hmm. has floored us. And I think if somebody wants a physical example of how Jesus looks at you, I just... I rewatch the episodes of where he calls the disciples often because I just see myself as a tax collector and as a fisherman. And it's just so beautiful. Yeah. And some of our faulty core beliefs melt away. Yes. In his presence. Yeah. And we have to give them. Yeah. Yeah. Giving them to him. So, 
Yeah, it'd be good to un- we can unpack that a bit. And I think you were wanting to do that. Hey, Drew. Yeah. So let's yeah. get practical. What are some of the simple steps we can take for yes. dealing with pied and ED and delayed or premature ejaculation? What can yeah. we do? Yeah. Awesome question. Something that I love talking about. Um, one of the things that my wife and I do with our clients, and it really ties into what Sophia was talking about. Uh, there's a uh, exercise called the thought model, which my wife got from a Christian coach that she had. And really what the thought model is, is that it's circumstances lead to our thoughts. Thoughts lead to our feelings. Feelings lead to our actions. Actions lead to our outcomes. The problem with circumstances is they just happen around us. We have no control, but it's our thought life that we have full control over. It's very biblical that we are to take our thoughts captive, that we are to have the mind of Christ. We are to set our our mind on things above. We are to renew and rewire the mind so we can discern God's will. Like It's so chock full of these scriptures of changing the mind, rewiring the mind, your mind, your mind, your mind. So if that's true, then that must mean we have some control over it. Or at least we can surrender what we're thinking so God can refill us with what's actually to be thought. And then as that leads to our feelings, and I often get guys to do this in the morning, what are you thinking about your circumstances? Because that's what's going to lead to how you feel. And if you feel anxious, you're going to act a certain way. And if you act a certain way, you're going to have a certain outcome. And it's basically like a you know, predestining what the day is going to look like. And then what we do with a thought model is same circumstance, but we say, God, what is a belief that you want me to have about this? And what thought can I live from today? And that's where it begins, where we start hearing God giving us truth, because it's that truth that changes the way we feel, that changes our actions, that changes our outcome. And once somebody does that, and it becomes a daily habit, 10 minutes a day, then it's so phenomenal. I think it's just a great guided journaling practice. So the idea of that is name the negative, disarm it by asking the Lord, believe what he's telling us. And then that is what rewires our mind. So good. So good. I think we need to include some kind of worksheet or summary of this for people. So it will be in the show notes. Cool. Um, The thought model. That's awesome. Sweet. Yeah. The thought model, man. It's, it's so good. And it's changed Helen and I's life in every area of our life. So we use it, we teach it, we preach it. It works. Cool. Um, the other thing that's so big, Drew, is spiritual disciplines and, and really decisions. I think sometimes the word discipline can be a, a turnoff for some people just as a trigger word, but it's spiritual decisions. Like forgiveness is a decision more than it's an action. So the first thing really is confessing and repenting. And it's actually confessing and repenting of the lies that you've been believing. So one of the steps that we took in the retreat that we went to was naming who programmed us to believe or what program us to believe what we've been believing, and then releasing them, confessing and repenting of the lies that they believed and that we've believed, and then asking the Lord for his forgiveness, accepting and receiving his forgiveness, and then breaking agreements with that belief and the demonic so a new belief can be accepted, absorbed, and permeated into our soul. So that's kind of the process of how that goes. So confession and repentance, uh, breaking soul ties and ungodly attachments is a huge part of this process. Jay talks about it in chapter 12 of Unwanted. Yes. Uh, he just touches on it. There's a lot more to it, but I'm so glad he touches on it because it's such a huge step. Um, I think I had it like, 60 ungodly attachments that I had to break. Mm-hmm. And these are things that, you know, it's like the women at a grocery store. I have a, had an ungodly attachment. I walk into a grocery store and the stereotype growing up was that you can pick up women at the grocery store. It's a great place to pick up women. And it's like, that was something I was attached to as a teenager. And I would fantasize about meeting a woman at the grocery store. So like these attachments that we don't realize we carry around with us. And then we go to the beach and we go to the swimming pool, we go to the gym, we go to the mall. It's like, wow, we really live in a lot of attachments and it becomes idols. So that's a huge piece of the puzzle. And then really offering and asking for forgiveness. Uh, I truly believe that one of the main root problems of addiction is unforgiveness because as Jay would call it is anger. We are angry people and anger is rooted in unforgiveness. We usually think somebody owes us something And we keep judging them for what they've done to us. And the very nature of forgiveness is stop retaliating. And while you may have already done this in certain areas of life, or you may have heard the importance of this before, have you ever considered how it might affect your penis, (laughs) to put it bluntly? Totally, totally. Because everything's connected, because there's a mind-body connection. And so... 
spiritual disciplines and decisions and forgiveness and naming our core beliefs, talking about them out loud. This can actually have a huge effect on our ability to connect with a partner. Yes. Yeah. The very nature of believing a lie is sin. That's it, it goes against God's plan for us. And, you know, the very nature of judging our wife based on her thinking that I'm going to be a failure, that's actually sinful thought. Like that's just not healthy. So actually confessing that and, you know, even forgiving our wives for something they've never done, but what we think about them very much like we actually have to walk through forgiveness with God. He's never done anything wrong, but we often hold anger towards him and that causes for unforgiveness. Yeah. Not only that, also you've been able to have some conversations with Elena that have been very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing this full circle. I often have guys work with things on their own at first, but then a conversation, um, I'm talking about couples here for sure. I think there could be a self conversation if somebody's single for sure. But I learned this actually from a a fellow in in the community, Greg Oliver, He, he really helped me a lot with this stuff. He's fantastic. Um, It was this idea of having a conversation with Helena where we lay everything out on the table with no, with no defensiveness, no justifications, no, no fear, but just a posture of love and really lay out. What do we both want? What do we both need? What do we both expect healthy and unhealthy? And really, what are we both thinking about all of those things? And when Helena and I did that, we got to see things on paper and actually deconstruct what was going on in our minds. And it was incredible. Helena, really, there was a few expectations that Helena had that were absolutely ruining me, but she had no idea because I had never shared about it. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just amazing. And we, I think we did two or three different sessions of that. And then what we did is we kind of rebuilt what a healthy sexual template would look like for Sean and Helena with what do we want? What do we need? What are healthy expectations? There's nothing wrong with expectations when they're healthy, communicated. And then how how can we rewire what we're thinking to better serve our sex life, stop comparing to what the world tells us to do and start living in a sexual template that is based on God's plan for sex. Wow. That sounds like hard work. It was intimidating, man. (laughs) Yeah, The first time we did it, it was really intimidating. (laughs) And what has been the result? Hmm. Well, the result, the biggest result has been that we have a sexual template that is built for Sean and Helena. And Helena has always been in our marriage, kind of the higher sex drive, higher libido person. And what we've realized is that we don't need to identify in those languages anymore. We can just realize that this works for Sean and Helena. We don't need to compare. We don't need to identify or label. We can just be so grateful for what we have based on what we want, what we need, what we expect. Nothing else matters unless, as long as it's aligned with God's will for our sex life. And it's been peaceful. Peaceful. Yes. Peaceful. Not stressful. Yeah. Peaceful is the name of the game with ED. And there are some really simple steps you've taken to, to rebuild healthy intimacy. What have been some of those? Yeah. So even going back what the the Kings were talking about in the last podcast, I just love some of the things they were talking about. So I think there would be more experts in this area, but I think something that I have done several times since marrying Helena Um, but something that I think is so important is really going back to what attracted us to our partner, because it's so interesting how there were so many things that attracted me to her. And then as we got married, those became the things that I got frustrated about. Mm. And that's a journey of its own, but going back to what first attracted you to your wife and remembering that and seeing it in her today, it's really special um, participating in just healthy touch. Like one of the things that Kings were talking about was like just touching non-sexual parts of the body and just learning how to enjoy touch together and being naked and just touching each other in non-sexual areas. Like that's amazing to be able to get to a place where you can lay in bed together, naked, cuddling, but you just laugh all night instead of have sex. Like, well, that's so beautiful. And Helen and I spend a lot of time in our bed, just cuddling and laughing and talking, uh, especially now with a newborn. We, we literally do that a lot. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to encourage people to think about is in, 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 in Thessalonians, Paul uh, tells them to live a quiet, simple life. And I think if we can make our life uh, about less 
things and more living, I think that'll help people realize that we were made to be human beings, which means that we are to be not to always be doing. And, and it's so beautiful the way Jesus lived. He was all about presence. Not a, like He did a bunch of amazing things. But if you actually look at the Gospels as a, as a biography of Jesus, he was all about being. He was all about presence. Yeah. So our focus needs to switch to being present people. And he was a single guy. He was a single guy. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect example to every aspect of life. Human being. I love that. And I even mm. love what you said about going back to what first attracted you to her. While you said that, I thought about going back to what first attracted me about God and about Jesus. Yes, yes. Oh, and, and rekindling that fire and that love. Mm. So good, Drew. It says in Revelation, return to your first love. Yeah, yeah. Church of Ephesus, yeah. you have lost your first love. Yeah. Mm. I don't want to be spit out, bro. Let's get back there. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> I am so encouraged by your story, Sean, and by mm. all of the insight you've added today. Tell us where you're at now and mm. what is the difference that this journey has made in your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. There's a story that comes to my mind and it's it was on Christmas Day I had gotten Helena a necklace for Christmas. I bought it online, was really excited. It was, you know, more than I would normally spend on jewelry and was so disappointed when she put it on. It just didn't look as nice. It didn't, it didn't fit her well. And um, we, we were having sex later in the day and she was wearing the necklace. And all I could think about is returning it on Boxing Day. All I could think about was going to the mall, wasting my time, returning this necklace. And I was feeling really embarrassed. And I, and I looked at her like mid foreplay, I said, "Hun, I need you to take that necklace off because all I can think about is returning it tomorrow. Can you take it off? Because I can't get an erection. <laughs> and she's like, we had a little chuckle. And she's like, oh, of course. Yeah, no, no problem. And it was just, if I was in my own head, I would be thinking, oh, it's so stupid. That's not manly. I should be able to get an erection without any distract. It doesn't matter what's going on. Real men can get an erection anytime, anywhere. But it was like, I'm distracted. This is what's going on. Let's do something about it. And, and then we had sex, no problem. And it was beautiful. So like, that's, that's been a, that's like a really great story of how my healing has been. It's not that I don't still struggle with stress and distractions and fear, but I'm able to communicate it because I don't let those thoughts of, Oh, that's so dumb. You should be this. You should be that. I don't let those overtake me anymore. So that's been one of the greatest joys. And Helena's been an absolute all-star. Like she's been, I always would have this lie that she's not a safe person. And she's been so safe and so beautiful. And that comes from her own healing and, and me rebuilding trust. That doesn't just happen on its own. But man, she has been an absolute rock for me. So we we have conversations now that are that have sex included in it. I think it used to be like, life is separate from sex and we only talk about sex after sex or before sex but now we've definitely been much better to have like coffee time in the morning and, and talk about whatever is on the docket and, and that's been mm -hmm. something that we're still working at but that's been much more incorporated and it's made me feel like i don't have to be on at a certain time we can have sex anytime you know her having that idea of being a higher sex drive she would be able to find more of a medium ground and, and instead of having these sex expectations we actually just have uh, an agreement of, of what we both want and need. And, and for Sean and Helena, it's, it's working so well. And, and again, going back to that word peace, we actually, we actually have an agreement that like, this is what is peaceful and we, we can live in that. We don't have to expect things from anybody. Um, if I don't want to have sex tonight, it doesn't mean I'm a, less of a man. It just means that I'm not in the mood. Let's cuddle. Let's talk. Let's laugh. And that can also be very intimate and beautiful. So that's, that's really where we're at with our mentality. We are absolutely growing at this because it's, it's only been five months. So that, I think that's, what's so exciting is I can be an example of somebody who's, you know, I've been free from porn for four years. Sometimes I forget what it's like in those early stages. So if I can be encouraging to anybody, like I'm still on this journey, but five months in, man, it is, it's amazing. The, the connection that happens in a, in a marriage when, these things start getting talked about. Yeah. Praise God. And what have been some of the results you've seen with your clients as well? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's been really neat, Drew. Over the last probably two to four months or so, I've had more guys coming to me specifically for erectile dysfunction, which is crazy because I wrote a blog about it like three years ago that has somehow now been thriving where people are reading it all of a sudden. And I've, I've been incorporating these guys into the process of going through unwanted because of course it's all rooted in sexual brokenness. But there's one specific client that I have that I've been actually changing things a little bit with him and doing a little bit deeper thought work and spending deeper time on the thought model. And it's been going really well. And I'm, and I'm so excited because my, my hope for them is that they can see that I've gone through this and that I can help them get to where I'm at today in a much shorter time. So there's been some phenomenal, phenomenal results lately with clients. You know, one guy living a homosexual lifestyle. Now he's been free for over two months from everything. And it's just these, these things that I never thought God would call me to help people with. Like I always thought it was like guys with porn addiction, you know, I'll help them because that's my story. But it's incredible how God's expanded my territory, which Man, it's an absolute privilege and, and, and clients are, are getting free. Amazing. If somebody wants to contact you, reach out for help, what should they do? Yeah, so the easiest thing would be to go to secrethabit.ca. You can fill out the contact form. My receptionist would get back in touch. And with Secret Habit, our services are free. We work with a nonprofit called Open Door Center. So we actually are offering free services. Of course, that only is possible by donation. So we, we do ask for a suggested donation or if somebody cares about what we're doing and wants to donate, it's donors that actually allow people to do the services for free. So we're all about this being when our clients come on and can donate, their donations actually help other people as well. So it's really cool. how it's kind of a communal help. So secrethabit.ca, fill up the contact us form and, and you can book a session virtually or in person if you're in Halifax. Awesome. And I want to add on to that to say that I really believe in Sean and Elena and their ministry. And we have been supporting each other as allies. And I really trust Sean. I think if you reach out mm-hmm. to him, he's going to take care of you and really help mm-hmm. you get to the core of what you're dealing with. Yeah, true. It's been a, it's been such a great journey with you, man. It's, Started way before any of this stuff was happening. (laughs) It's amazing. I remember first meeting you and we were just kind of dreaming about what ministry could be. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget. Yeah. I'll never forget it. And as you said, a lot can happen in a year and even more can happen in five years. Yes. Even more can happen in a lifetime. There is so much hope. How would you describe that hope? Yeah, I don't want to be cliche because I think it gets thrown around a lot. But if I think about my life, even just this morning, I was actually listing out all of the miracles God has done in my life, all the things he's brought me from and to. And it was a whole piece of paper and there could be more. Um, But the Lord restores the years the locust ate. He does things that we can't even fathom. It says that he has peace that is you can't even understand it. He does things that we can't even comprehend. And and one of my mantras with my clients is that my failures can be your success. And I think that encourages a lot of people because I, I feel like God's given me space in this journey to really find what, what works and just to cut out the fluff. So the hope for people that I work with is that they're, they're getting the, the best quality meat and, and, you know, they got guys like Jay Stringer helping because I use unwanted, you know, we use the workbook that you design. It's just incredible what God's been able to design and, and offer us. But really this idea that the Lord restores years of locust eight, but he's also going to show you things that you could never make sense of. So like right now we're like hoping to buy a home. Like we'd love to buy a home one day. And my wife and I were just talking this morning. It's like, we're always asking God for these big things and we're uncertain about the finances and we're uncertain about this and that. And it's like, we just made a list. We did that list because it's like, look at how many things he's brought us into and out of. Like we moved to Nova Scotia. We didn't have any idea how we would make money. We didn't work for 10 months. We were like totally thinking we would literally live in our car and God did everything because he's God. And, and, and that's just the reality is, God is God and he's going to do things that absolutely blow your mind. You might have an idea of what things could Mm -hmm. look like in the next year, but if, if you, like it says, if you give him your everything, 
man, he will do tremendously more. Like fill mm-hmm. up the storehouses with your effort, fill up the storehouses yes. with what you got. And he'll blow your mind. Even in your sexuality. Even more in that. Yes. <laughs> Even in erectile dysfunction. Yes. Amen. God is a sexual God. He made these body parts for good things. Yeah. Amen. Sean, what is your favorite thing about freedom from ED? Hmm. Freedom ED. Yeah. So as a married man, my favorite thing is I, I actually feel fully known and fully loved. Like I think that term gets thrown out a lot and I, I actually feel fully known and fully loved. And that has led to an intimacy in my marriage that I Helen and I never had the sexual, the emotional, the spiritual. Um, it's, it's really, truly wonderful. And it, it feels miraculous at times. And then I would say for guys that don't have a wife, just personally as a, as a man, uh, just knowing who I am is so important. And being able to voice that I'm not not good a lot, not good at times, and, and embracing God's love. There was a, a, a phrase I heard the other day that says, um, discipleship is embracing the rulership of God. Mm-hmm. And I thought that is so powerful. So when I embrace the rulership of God over my body, over my ministry, over the finances, over parts of my life, man, I just feel like God sees me and he wants me and he loves me. And everything comes from that. He sees your heart. Seize your heart, man. He will know we're disciples by the fruit. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is spiritual more than the outward fruit a lot of the times. And he sees his image in us, mm-hmm. even when we don't see it. Yes. Amen. So, yeah, man, I think simply put, those would be my favorite things about being free from erectile dysfunction. I love that. And that's why I always end every episode by saying you are God's beloved son and you he is well pleased. And by the way, please join us for a live Q&A with the Bonitos, Sean and Elena on May 4th. Coming up, this is a chance to ask a couple questions that don't get asked and don't get talked about usually in public. So that's why we are keeping this within the Husband Material community app. You can get on there at husbandmaterial.app and join us for that event. It'll be on Zoom. It'll be a chance for married and single guys to ask those questions to a couple who has overcome these issues personally and is helping others to do the same. Hmm. So I'm really excited about that event. Yeah. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks for that opportunity, Drew. It's going to be special to be a couple there. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope some people reach out to you and I hope that everyone will leave this conversation knowing that you are God's beloved son and in you, he's well-placed. Well-placed.